Welcome to the Full Moon Review. Today we'll be looking at the 2022 film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Now sit back, relax, grab your drinks, and let's talk about this film. What's up y'all and welcome back to the Full Moon Review. This is Season 5, Episode 7, and I thank you all for tuning in once again. Now in this episode we are going to be analyzing the third multiverse story in the last 12 months, so stay tuned. Before I get into anything, I do want to preface this episode with a somewhat bigger spoiler warning. I will have a spoiler section in this and I will warn anyone going into that part at that point because a lot of this does take a lot of explanation, especially with how complex it can get. As I always say though, please go see the film first before you hear what I have to say about it so you fully understand everything and or you can just listen to the first bit where I go into just the quick little thoughts on the film and then you can go see it and then listen to the rest of it. I will warn you when that part comes up but if you don't care about that just listen to the entire episode also i know i talk about this at the end but the data shows that most people don't listen to that part so i want to talk about it here and reiterate the importance of leaving reviews on your favorite subscription services i do read those because i do want to grow because these episodes are really for all you listeners out there and i want to keep this entertaining so what do you want to hear do you want to hear games do you want to hear more of the 4k stuff do you want to hear me talk about a certain movie if you want to come on and talk talk to me about something for you on a debate i'm always open to do stuff like that so you can always reach out to me on social media i always want to grow and improve and just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved so if there's something that you want me to improve on let me know and i will grow as such anyway now back to the film at hand so let's sit back relax grab your drinks and let's talk about this film Everything Everywhere All at Once is a two absurdist comedy drama film written, directed, and co-produced by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinhardt. It stars Michelle Yeoh along with Stephanie Shu, Ga Hui Kwan, Jenny Slate, Harry Shum Jr., James Hong, and Jamie Lee Curtis. And I apologize if I mispronounced any of those names. I do not speak any Chinese dialect influencies. Honestly, this film is all over the place as it takes on hundreds of different faces, moods, and emotions. The story boils down to a multiverse story about a secret mission that Evelyn, played by Io, must do to stop the destruction of the multiverse. She has to take down Jobu Tupaki, who is an entity that is one universe's version of Evelyn's daughter. Joy, played by Shu. Jobu has been searching for the version of Evelyn who is similar to her in that they can both see across the entire multiverse all at once. Ultimately, the film works because of its universality of its themes and its story. Life is very complex and each decision one makes in it can be small, big, informed, or rash. These decisions end up defining who one chooses to be. This film dives into this deeply human characteristic of self-reflection through its plot. However, this by itself doesn't make this film the emotional story that it is. It works because it is also centered around a character drama. Though it does have obviously a lot of action and a sci-fi premise, at its core it is a family drama film. It tells the story of generations, a mother, her father, and her daughter, and the mother's husband. Each character has a very pivotal role in its narrative and each is honestly representative of a key theme. The mother, Evelyn, represents the infinite possibility and her character arc is the core portion of it. Her husband, 
played by Quan, represents love and kindness. Joy represents a generation struggle with accepting the positive things in life. And the relationship that they also have with Gong Gong, played here by Hung, shows the applicability to the multi-generational trauma that a lot of people go through. And this film also touches on many Buddhist and Taoist thought through the bagel and googly eye symbols. They essentially are a humorous yet accurate take on yin and yang and also explores concepts central to Buddhist philosophy. At its core, this film is about what it means to be human. When one takes this brilliantly written story, adds in its unbelievable action, the result is really a spectacle that must be watched. Honestly, at the end of the day, go see it and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode because that is my spoiler-free analysis of the film and to go into more detail will require spoilers. So, progress with caution, you have been warned. If you continue going on, you will hear some spoilers and the full analysis of all the characters and also the themes is going into in further detail. So as I talked about already, this is the third multiverse related film in the past 12 months. So I'm going to give a short explanation of what the multiverse is. Basically, the idea of the multiverse is a hypothetical group of multiple universes. Seems pretty self-explanatory. These ideas have been around since ancient Greece. And today, the scientific community has debated whether other universes exist outside of our own. Some say that it's not a legitimate topic because the idea itself would corrupt the processes of experimental verification and thus hurt the world's view on science and ultimately the damage the study of fundamental physics. Now some also argue that it's more philosophical than scientific because it cannot be empirically falsified. But back in 2018, legendary physicist Stephen Hawking stated that our universe may be one of many similar to our own in his final research paper. His theory resolved this cosmic paradox of his own making and basically pointed a way for astronomers to find evidence of the existence of parallel universe. And this is because in, back in the 1980s, he developed a new idea about the beginning of the universe. At this point, they were essentially resolving a difficult with Einstein's theory suggesting that the universe began about 14 billion years ago but really never said anything of how it began. Now he used a different theory called quantum mechanics to explain how the universe arose from nothingness. Now in short he stated that the universe had no origin but rather it's a singularity in both space and time pre-Big Bang. However he did also say quote the universe has not existed forever rather the universe and time itself had a beginning in the Big Bang about 15 billion years ago end quote. Now I know that that's very confusing and if you're religious that does conflict a lot of it but that is basically the science of it but in short this idea basically tied up one loose end but then also created another or infinite number of loose ends the theory basically stated that some of the universes would be similar to our own but they would be subtly different such as when an earth where the dinosaurs were not wiped out now again as I've said before all of this is out there and the mathematical equations in this theory make such scenarios theoretical possible. Issue with this 1980 theory is that if there are infinite types of universes with infinite variations in their laws of physics, then the theory cannot predict what kind of universe we would find ourselves in. However, going back to 2018, he stated that there can only be universes that have essentially the same laws of physics as our own. This conjecture basically means that our universe is typical and any observations that we make from our viewpoint would be meaningful in developing of how other universes emerged. Similar 
simply put, the idea of the multiverse is that every variable choice adds a new universe to the multiverse. For instance, suppose you had a choice to become a lawyer or a podcaster. If you chose to be a lawyer in the first universe, a different quote unquote you would become a podcaster in the second. And this is the idea that two directors use to tell their story, but in a much wilder way. In their story, a person in one universe can gain the consciousness and the skill set of another version of them from another universe. The ability to do this depends on being able to quote solve and one version of you's problems such as professing love to a person trying to kill you. There is one universe that is called the Alphaverse where they can use this technique and control those other versions bodies however this becomes mentally exhausting which is why Evelyn fries her brain in the beginning of the film. Now Evelyn who's played brilliantly here by Michio represents the infinite possibilities of the film. Evelyn at first seems this mild mannered but also neurotic and inconsiderate at times. Then as the plot continues, she becomes this embodiment of the potential of every human's potential, but she still feels unskilled and unworthy. And her character arc is the core portion of the film. Her husband, Waymond, played by Kwan, represents love and kindness, but as the film progresses, the audience sees that he's dealing with a significant pain in his life, especially in his relationship with Evelyn. This pain has this extreme effect on him, but he hides it. He fights it by just putting on a happy face and being kind to others. And the way that the film weaves these characters' arcs and purposes creates this story with a very deep emotional core that really anyone at any stage of life can connect to. The basic idea of the story is Jobu, played by Shu, wanting to destroy the multiverse. However, it goes much deeper than that. The alpha-verse version of Evelyn had Jobu, whom she forced to develop and evolve this universe jumping skill. This led to Jobu fracturing her brain, which then led to essentially her simultaneously existing in all universes at once. She could essentially be everything, everywhere, all at once. This made her this very omnipotent being and also made her realize that almost everything that she does is pointless and no one will understand her pain. And she goes on this journey because she wants to find someone who can see what she does and feel what she feels. She wants to be seen similar to her counterpart in the first universe. She sees these different universes not as real and as the directors have pointed out, her mindset is based on a generation's struggle with, with accepting the positive things in life. This generation sees that nothing matters in the world and every good thing in our life doesn't matter, which has led to many Gen Z people feeling hopeless. This is seen also through Evelyn's lack of acceptance and consideration for joy in the first universe that makes joy feel unvalued and this is what makes jobu slash joy so captivating because she's not a villain in the truest sense though that's how the film starts portraying her as as the film progresses she becomes more of a victim that has been put through a lot and simply wants to be hurt evelyn can't even agree with joy on her worldview and life decisions but in the end she realizes that she cannot control joy or jobu they must be the one to make their own choices and by the end of the film they are heard and accepted. Now, Jobu slash Joy's journey to acceptance is mirrored by Evelyn's as well. Her father, Gong Gong, touches on the themes of generational trauma. Evelyn is the person she is today because of the decisions that her father made, which in turn were a reaction to the decisions that she made. This is then paralleled through Evelyn and Joy's relationship, and the film brilliantly discusses how culture and social norms change between generations and how trauma shapes them. In Universe 1, Evelyn left her family in China when she's young to be with Wayman. They started running this laundromat 
but her father has always resented her and she wonders what life would be like if she didn't leave China all those years ago. However, she still sees things as non-changing and her thoughts do not matter. Like the multiverse, she's all over the place and has little guidance of where to go. She has started many hobbies that she tries to write off as business expenses, but that gets her in trouble with the IRS. She doesn't really pay attention to her husband and thus he's trying to serve her divorce papers. And then when the mission comes into her attention, she can't even focus on that and her mind is still on her taxes. Her mind is never on the present moment. And this is why her and Jobu slash Joy work off each other perfectly. The latter shows her the miserableness of being everywhere all at once instead of focusing on the things that matter like her relationship with Joy, Wayman, and even the IRS employee Deidre played wonderfully by Curtis. Evelyn eventually accepts that she's the source of her daughter's pain and comes to terms with the fact that her daughter is her own person and she sees Joy for who she is and not who she wants Joy to be. And this parent-child relationship is one of many surrounding Evelyn, but how she works through them is how she grows and gains the ability to save the day. The film offers a complex understanding of human stories at an interpersonal and societal levels. For example, Wayman says his gentleness and kindness are strategic and necessary to survive, and they are his strengths. This continues throughout the film as he can get things done that Evelyn can't. Simply by being different than Evelyn has to really push herself to be loving and kind in the universe where Deidre flies toward her in a slow motion sumo wrestler kick. Here she has to say I love you and mean it and after realizing this side of her she's able to show her love for her other quote-unquote adversaries through things she's learned about them from the other universes. And this feels extremely relatable no matter if Evelyn was reaching across worlds to hold on to her daughter and rescue her from a swirling black hole of an everything bagel or they were two rocks talking through only subtitles. Each moment feels authentic as it shows that there are always ways to heal painful and strained relationships between loved ones. This hopefulness is important in a world that there's been an increase of anti-Asian violence. Since the start of the coronavirus disease 19 pandemic, Asian Americans have faced a wave of anti-Asian racism and hate incidents. This wave of anti-Asian hate has mostly been inspired by public anxiety and fear about the pandemic and negative rhetoric about Asians by prominent politicians. The Federal Bureau of Investigation has documented a 77% increase from 2019-2020 in hate crimes against Asian people living in the United States. And during the period from March 2020 to June 2021, more than 9,000 anti-Asian hate incidents were self-reported. However, it is very understood that these crime statistics are vastly underreported. When asked to give major reasons for this discrimination against the Asian American Pacific Islander community, 64% of Asian Americans cite COVID-19 cases first being reported in China, followed by the 57% citing Donald Trump. And the path forward from these types of things should address the rising public health threat of violence toward Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. More must be done to stop these racist and hate acts directed toward Asian Americans, developing strategies to basically identify best practices to go forward. Now, the Department of Justice and the Department of Education have created resources on confronting harassment in schools to assist Asian American students who have reported an increase in bullying and harassment by classmates because of their race or national origin. There is evidence showing that school-based interventions all the way from kindergarten to university can reduce harassment, hateful speech and actions, and racism as a whole. And more attention to the contributions of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders to the United States over the century, as well as the discriminations and tensions that have happened here, including those that date back to the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 19th century and the 
internment camps of Japanese Americans during World War II. This film also touches on other ways that people have been racist and or prejudiced toward Asians and Asian Americans. COVID related ways aren't the only way and they've been happening for a while, though they usually go unnoticed. This film shows this by giving glimpses of injustice that really slip by quickly as they are shown on screen. For example, a laundromat customer remarks, I thought you people were all good at after a machine eats his $20 bill. Now simply because Asians, Pacific Islanders, or just Asian Americans are not the main ethnic group when it comes to being focused on racial injustice does not mean it doesn't happen. In the last three battles of the U.S., World War One, and then the battle incursions of Vietnam and Korea, led to this unspoken dehumanization of those people simply just to justify at the time that they were the quote-unquote enemy, which then led to a justification of treating Asian people. Now, people usually forget about this because the descriptions of Asians are thought of as smart, hardworking, nice, and this has led many to align them with the idea of being the model minority, which is a myth. Since the end of World War II, this myth about Asian Americans and their perceived collective success has been used as a racial wedge to minimize the role that racism plays in the struggle of other minority groups such as Black Americans. Now, characterizing Asian Americans as a model minority basically takes away the diverse experiences of Asian Americans and puts them in this singular and very narrow viewpoint. And this idea is misleading because it doesn't even align with current statistics. First of all, not all Asians are the same or even have the same experience. Currently, more than 22 million people of Asian descent live in the United States, making up approximately 7% of the nation's population. And they can trace their heritage to different regions around the world, with people of East Asian and Southeast Asian descent making up the largest shares, though no group makes up a majority. More than 1.5 million Pacific Islanders who descend from Micronesia, Malaysia, or Polynesia live in the United States as well. Second, while Asian Americans do have a higher median household income than the national median, there's a huge difference among different Asian origin groups. These disparities are partially driven by similar disparities in education levels among Asian Americans. The highest earning groups, Indian Americans and Taiwanese Americans, have the highest level of education, while the lowest earning groups have comparatively lower levels of education. Now, to demonstrate this disparity, a 2018 Pew Research Center study found that Asian Americans were the most economically divided racial or ethnic group in the United States with Asian Americans in the top 10th of the income distribution making 10.7 times more than the bottom 10th. Third, they are thought to immigrated to the United States the quote-unquote right way, which doesn't make sense either because Asians have a wide range of reasons for immigrating to the United States, including those coming as refugees or asylum seekers. Out of the almost 11 million estimated undocumented immigrants in the United States, around 1.5 million, which is 14%, are from Asia, according to the Migration Policy Institute. And once they get to the United States, they can still experience racism and prejudice. Since the pandemic, again, according to a survey conducted by the Pew Research Center, 32% of Asian American adults, which is a greater percentage than any other racial or ethnic group, said that they feared that somebody might threaten or physically attack them. And they also, Asians as a whole, have a very little political representation, as they are the lowest compared to any other racial or ethnic group. This film attacks these ideas by showing an emotional and physical journey through many parallel timelines simultaneously. However, the key character is the one that is mostly quiet during the film. 
Quan's role as the many different Waymans is a rare depiction of an Asian lead that not only rejects but also changes stereotypes of Asian lead men but also serves as an evolution of Asian representation in film. Now Quan is mostly known for his roles in the Goonies and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom films as a young preteen. Now even with this success afterwards he found that there were minimal worthwhile roles for Asian actors in Hollywood which led to him stepping away from the industry. This film is only his second appearance in 2002. During the 1990s, the roles available to Asian men specifically were limited to the action star, the nerd, or comic relief. Generally speaking, they played the loyal friend or the butt of the joke or the mysterious highly skilled martial arts hero or even villain. In the last decade though, more Asian men have been appearing in better characters that, such as romantic leads like that in the Netflix TV show Master of None, big budget films such as Crazy Rich Asians and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten rings have put good-looking actors front and center as viable sex symbols. What's even more fantastic about this film is how it shows how an ordinary, middle-aged immigrant man can be a great lead. He doesn't have to be in the best shape to show that he's still the best opposing character to Evelyn. He has these layers that can surprise many viewers and this is because the directors take advantage of the weak perception that audience may have of this character to essentially surprise them and also the characters within the film. One universe even has him as this sophisticated man who changes the expectations of a romantic lead by refusing Evelyn when she tries to kiss him. In this moment he knows that getting the girl is not a requirement for him to feel self-worth. Quan's performance as Wayman is full of extremes, all of which he expertly handles. He's able to show a multi-layered character throughout the many versions of his character. All of them in turn show how Asians can be in Hollywood. Anything, really. They do not have to be reduced to one any one thing, just like white male leads don't have to be limited to one specific characteristic. They can be anything and everything all at once. The film also again touches on these Buddhist and Taoist thoughts, and those details of the film are the real reason why this film is truly great. The bagel and the googly eye, again, are these two symbols that are a different take on the idea of yin and yang, while also exploring concepts that are central to Buddhist philosophy, which basically state that all things exist only through our perception of said things. Therefore, they are without inherent meaning. They are an everything bagel because if one has everything, then everything means nothing. This is then contrasted with the gluey eye that says even with nothing, there is still value, joy, and love. Simply put, Buddhists state that compassion makes us human and that emptiness isn't reason to despair, but actually an opportunity to leave behind the bad and cherish the good. Evelyn, after realizing that her daughter is who she wants to get back into her life, uses her experiences uh, across all multiverses to help everyone find happiness, including herself. She acknowledges the heartbreak she went through when her father disowned her and let her go to the United States without hesitance. She doesn't want to repeat the same mistake with joy and confronts her mistakes with her. Ultimately, they reconcile in a very emotional sequence and this ending happens when the family realize that all they need themselves and that they do not have to be perfect. Again, at its core, this film is about what it means to be human. Now, when one takes this brilliantly written story and adds in its unbelievable action, the result is a spectacle that must be watched. This film really succeeds with its story, its details, its character, its numerous themes, and its ending. I would rate this film a 5 out of 5. Now what did you think of the film and how does it compare to your thoughts on the multiverse and other multiverse films? Let me know. Hit me up on social media. 
The Formal Review is on Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram, and also YouTube. The handle's all the same. It's at The Formal Review. Don't forget to subscribe to any of the platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere where you can find a podcast on Spotify, or even subscribe to the channel on YouTube. You can also check out The Painted Lines, where I also contribute a few other ways. And please leave a review on there so I can know how to improve, because that's really how I grow as a human being. And I want to keep this show entertaining for you all. And for anyone who has supported me on a financial basis, I thank you very much for supporting me in that way. For anyone who wants to support, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash the formal review. Click support this podcast and any donation is appreciated. Thank you all again for tuning in. And until next time, be happy, enjoy life, and be positive. And see you at the movies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the formal review. Cheers, and we'll see you next time.